Hello everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Election Day. Last week, we talked about Donald Trump, and I said that because he is emotional and impulsive, the key to understanding him is his psychology. Today, we're going to be looking at the other candidate in the race, and that is Joe Biden. For Joe Biden, the key to understanding him is his background and his career. Unlike Donald Trump, his entire life was dedicated to public service and politics. So that is what shapes who he is as a person and as a candidate. So today we're going to be exploring Joe Biden's legacy in the Senate as Obama's vice president and more recently in the Democratic primary to try and deduce what that means in the general election matchup against Donald Trump. Joe Biden was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1973 for the state of Delaware. Now, this version of Joe Biden was very different to the person we know today. In a 1974 interview with the Washingtonian, just one year after he was elected, Biden said that he was, quote, conservative on some issues, including abortion and the draft, end quote. Throughout his career, he voted for a lot of anti-LGBTQ bills, like the Defense of Marriage Act, and harsh criminal justice bills, like the Comprehensive Crime Control Act. Also, as Kamala Harris famously criticized in a Democratic primary debate, he was a strong opponent of desegregation busing. Compare that with Joe Biden in 2020. He has already come out and said that he regrets all the decisions I just told you about, he says they were mistakes, and as much as he is painted as a moderate, he supports a $15 minimum wage, he supports free college, he recently adopted Elizabeth Warren's bankruptcy bill. Ideologically, he is an, an Obama equivalent, that's why he was his VP. And if it wasn't for very progressive candidates like Bernie Sanders, Biden would be considered extremely left-wing. So there's definitely a big contrast between the Biden of the 20th century, who is quite conservative on a lot of issues by today's standards, and the current Biden. And that's exactly my first main point. It's that Joe Biden moves with the times. He has become more liberal as society has become more liberal. He definitely isn't an ideologue. He is kind of the definition of a representative in the sense that his political standpoints have developed as the American psyche and his constituents have developed. A little after 10 years in the Senate, Joe Biden had kind of two defining moments. The first being that he chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee from 1987 to 1995, and he presided over the confirmation hearings of Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas. These were two of the most controversial Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings in U.S. history, especially because of the accusations by Anita Hill, which Biden was under a lot of fire for mishandling and not treating her fairly. And Biden has also come out and apologized for this, which fits in with my earlier point about him changing over time. The second main event is his 1988 presidential campaign. At one point, he was the favorite to win the primary, but he lost a lot of ground, and he had to end his campaign after plagiarizing a speech from British politician Neil Kinnock. 
After that, he chaired the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and played a big role in Afghanistan, which again, he says was a mistake. And now finally, we get to the more interesting part, which is in 2008, after a pretty insignificant presidential run, he was chosen to be Obama's vice president. And he definitely helped Obama to get a lot of things done. For example, in 2010, his negotiations with Senator Mitch McConnell helped produce the administration's 2010 tax package. Which brings me to my second core argument, which is that Joe Biden runs old-school politics. He is a career politician. He slowly rose in the rankings to eventually become vice president. He ran two presidential campaigns before finally getting the nomination this time. He compromises with the opposing party. All of this stuff, politics as a career job, rising in the ranks, compromise, all of this isn't something that's associated with the modern notion or style of politics. So Biden definitely is calling back to what we perceive to be a better time in politics. Just a quick point before we move on. Let's think about why Barack Obama chose Joe Biden to be his vice president. Because Obama was already such a polarizing figure, Joe Biden was meant to be kind of the counterbalance. He's unthreatening to voters and uncontroversial within politics. He is an old white man, and yes, America is very sexist, racist, and ageist. Also, he's a veteran senator with plenty of experience. He's not the most exciting candidate. But at the same time, he doesn't spark the same kind of anti-Bernie or anti-Hillary backlash. Often, Joe Biden does get criticized for being uncharismatic, but we should also think about the flip side of that, which is that he is unthreatening. And as I'll show you later, that's part of a winning strategy. Let's summarize what I've talked about so far. Joe Biden is very liberal in policy. But at the same time, he's a non-ideological, compromise-willing moderate who is looking back for an old style of politics. It is a contradiction, and that's because America is a contradiction. Americans overwhelmingly self-identify as either moderate or conservative, but there is still widespread support for very liberal policies. And Joe Biden, in a way, he heals that contradiction because he represents it. In this respect, the Democratic primary process definitely helped him and made him a stronger candidate, because compared to Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden was painted as a moderate, as a centrist, as the rational pushback to the liberal wing of the party, despite still retaining his progressive platform. Basically, he wasn't treated as a radical the same way that other Democrats were, even conservatives who criticized him didn't really criticize him for that. In fact, this is probably the most important reason why he won. Despite media coverage or the narrative of Sanders being more representative of the modern Democratic Party, and despite all the attention being focused on people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrats are still overwhelmingly moderate. Most Democrats don't fall into the Sanders AOC camp. In fact, a study by Vox.com found that just under half of all Democrats, 
self-identify as liberal. The rest are moderates and then a small portion of conservatives. Just digest that for a second. Liberals are a minority even within the Democratic Party. And people who identify as very liberal, i.e. Sanders supporters, make up an even smaller fraction. So contrary to the illusion created by media and the primary calendar, I'm going to, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't predict this myself, but looking back, it makes so much sense. It is so painfully obvious that the moderate Joe Biden defeated hyper-progressive Bernie Sanders in a majority moderate party. It was in no way a miracle, in a choice between a strong vision slash revolution or a competent safe guy, people took the more unthreatening choice, which comes back to what I said earlier. And yes, despite the rhetoric of Biden being mentally unstable, Biden still is the competent and safe choice. Just because he has a record, he's well known, and if you actually listen to him talk, he doesn't slip up as much as the sound bites and exaggeration on public media might suggest. I'll come back to this in a future episode and talk more about Biden's systematic advantages. But I want to talk about how his character, which we've discussed today, provides some upside for him in the election. The main one that I focused on in this episode is that as progressive as he is, he still wears the mask of a moderate. He is familiar and he is unthreatening. And as boring as he is, the bet is that people want boring in this Trump era of craziness. The nomination of Biden was a bet on the Democrat side that people would choose typicality over Trump, which, considering Trump's approval, might pay off. That's why I titled this episode Vanilla Politician. When you get ice cream, if you don't find anything new and better, you just order vanilla because you know what it is and you know you're just okay with it. Biden is not widely hated the way that Trump is. Actually, he's not hated by most people. Even conservatives don't hate him the way they might hate other Democrats. And I also want to talk about something else, which is just his personal charm and eloquence. I know he gets a bad rap for his gaffes, and yes, he doesn't get the same sound bites on the debate stage. He hasn't gotten the headlines or the spotlight that you would expect for a major party's nominee. And during the coronavirus pandemic, he's been largely quiet. But I would expect him to perform better in a one-on-one -on -one against Trump, like he did a lot better one-on-one -on -one against Sanders than in a total free-for-all of 10 people. Because people really get to hear his message that way. And as an old-school politician, he does that a lot better than he does sound bites. And as an old-school politician, he does a lot better at the ground game, at the fairs in the Midwestern states, meeting voters, and that is still very relevant in the places that actually matter. He comes across in person as very authentic, and not just in the crass Trump way. I could talk more about this, but I think Laura McGann at Vox.com put it perfectly when she said this. I've met Joe Biden, and I admit it's... It's kind of enchanting. He's a glad hander. He'll make you smile. He'll make you laugh. People feel like he cares and he has empathy. That is one of Biden's 
sort of strength. Empathy, especially in a matchup against Trump, that is something he will need to stress because, as I said last episode, Trump is not known for his empathy. I was watching a video by Elizabeth Warren supporting Biden, and that's a talking point she uses a lot. Here's a heartbreaking example I found with Biden and a healthcare worker. I'm worried about the healthcare professionals' mental health when this is over. So am I. A lot of us are going to need some counseling and some therapy when we're done because it's like a war zone in there. It's got to be so, so, so difficult. I don't know how you do it. How are your kids doing? They must worry a lot about you. They're, my 10-year-old cries. She hears my phone ring and she wakes up and she cries and begs me not to go. But I just keep telling her everybody has a job in the community. My job is to go to work and help people who are sick. Well, I admire the hell of what you're doing. Really respect you. But at any rate, I can't tell you. I mean, I, I really can't. I swear to God, my word is a Biden. You are incredible. Like I said, until people see it, feel it, hear it, they have no idea of the sacrifice that you're making and the risk you're taking for us. No matter what happens, you give hope. And hope is important till the last breath. You can't live without hope. No, you can't. God love you, dear. Incredible. <laughs> and thank your colleagues for me. What is as well, for real. Thank you. You're my prayers. Thanks for what you're doing for us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. She's something else. That's it for this episode on Joe Biden. Next week, I'll be talking about the coronavirus pandemic the Trump administration's response to it, and the political consequences. So please tune into Election Day next Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, available at the website anchor.fm slash justin-on or any major podcasting service such as Spotify.